Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Now, we've got a highly dramatic situation happening today because, as you will know, the very first show of August, and it's an unusual month, five, you know, five Sundays, isn't it? very first show... Um, was a stonkingly good show. We had, I think, four or five winning entries. I mean, they were all really high-scoring entries. And that resulted in every show since then being being very good, but not actually toppling the person, the author, who had the winning um, entry, which was 70, from memory, 78 points. Until the very last entry of last week's show which topped it with 79 points all very intricate you may wonder why it matters i'll tell you in a moment first of all let's meet our first guest the amazing ghostwriter author of three acclaimed novels teacher of advanced writing courses of the guardian the list goes on and on and on it's ros morris Hello. And hello, Roz. And she's one, well, Kaylee hardly needs any introduction at all, but she is, of course, one of our most popular guests. Please welcome back Latopia's very own Kaylee Finn. And this just in. Oh, look, it's from Rachel. Quite long. Rachel says, I'm writing to say thank you. I was really nervous when I watched the show on Sunday. A lot of writers are. Uh, before then, Spell Tinker, that's your manuscript, had been seen only by my mum, whose opinion doesn't really count. I hope your mum's not watching. And several agents have rejected it. Oh, I'm sorry about that. The positive reaction to the writing by Pete, the chat room, and star guests Jamie and Dean has given me the confidence I need to learn from the mistakes I made in Spell Tinker and believe in myself a little bit more. So important as I start on a new project. Thank you, and thank you very much indeed. Um, what we should do now, I think, is let me just show you the situation as it exists in our in our data bank. Now, what I normally do is show you a leaderboard. I am going to show you that in a moment, but before that, I'm going to show you the same data in a slightly different way, and this is a percentage of all votes cast so far this month. You can see how incredibly tightly bunched it is there, actually. And yes, 14.2%, The Strangeness of Ordinary Things by John Rigglesworth is currently our winner. Let me express that data to you in a slightly different way. And now you can see the percentage. Uh, John got 79%. That's one hell of a vote. That's across our guests, my vote, and of course, most importantly of all, the genius room. 79%. Just Pip of the Post, SM Worsey, Dogs of London. Uh, such a good submission, that too. And Cage Dunn, and Madarika, and Simon Chaplin. How tightly bunched it was. Um, and really, the drama is just... It's building. It's building. Because this is our last show, and who knows what's going to happen. We do have, we do have a winner, and we do have something rather wonderful that's going to happen to that winner at the end of the month. With over 100 worldwide number one bestsellers, Head of Zeus is a formidable British-based publishing powerhouse. 
Independent Publisher of the Year, Digital Business of the Year. The awards and tributes keep rolling in. Now, Pop-Up Submissions has partnered with Head of Zeus to find tomorrow's best-selling authors. Each month's Pop-Up winner will be fast-tracked straight to them for their expert consideration. We know writing is never easy, but now Pop-Up Submissions makes it easier for you and your work to find a great publishing home. It does indeed, and of course, uh, Heidi Zeus have already uh, picked up two um, pop-up alumni of whom we're immensely proud. So, guys, it's an, it's another route to market. Very, very important. Let's get straight on with our first submission of the day. This is from Tom, and it's a thriller. What a great way to start. QR code there, too, if you'd like to scan it. Uh, it'll take you to, well, wherever Tom wants to, you to go to, actually, on the wild wild west that is the world wide web um and it's called the secrets of headland house let me read you the blurb three brutal deaths 50 years of secrets if the walls could talk would even they know the truth after 14 years a young woman returns to her family home crumbling on a remote headland to tell her estranged brother that their mother lied about them being adopted. With their mother's mind lost to dementia, to find out why she lied, they dig into the house's history and uncover 50 years of secrets so well buried that only the house itself can untangle the truth, one room at a time. Does that thrill you? I'm getting interested. Let me tell you about uh, Tom. I've been working in film and television as a screenwriter and producer, says Tom, for over a decade. My debut feature film, Tear Me Apart, which I wrote and produced, world premiered at the Austin Film Festival in 2015. Congratulations on that. No mean achievement. And is now available at, on Amazon Prime. Go go ahead and get it, guys. Why not? Um, since then, I've written two shows for mobile first platform Black Pills, Immortality and Off in Development. Uh, recently, I was selected uh, for the BBC Cornish Voices with my TV pilot, Drifter. Uh, this book was born out of lockdown. So many books were conceived in lockdown. Uh, as film and television productions ground to a halt, I decided I wanted something positive to come out of the months ahead, and so dove blindly into a debut novel. I wonder how that was for you. I just about managed to bash out what I would tentatively call a polished first draft before the pubs reopened. <laughs> So, any more writing due then at all? Um, so, there's plenty of work to do. I'm now looking for all and any guidance to get it ready for market. Fantastic. Well, that's what you're going to get um, from us, definitely, Tom. But before that, you're going to get a first class reading from Barbara. Three brutal deaths, 50 years of secrets. If the walls could talk, would they even know the truth? The Secrets of Headland House by E.J. Cassidy, read by Barbara. Prologue. I can't remember what the truth is anymore. I have stood silent for so long, for too long perhaps. I wish I could be unchanged, unmoved in the face of this, but I have felt every ache, every pain. My time is almost over, but before I disappear, my rooms, my walls, my stones, they want to remember. Like an unfinished puzzle, started many years ago, all the pieces are here, somewhere. If only I could remember. Maybe you will see the sum of all my parts. Chapter 1 
The house was as ancient as the cliffs on which it stood. There had been a dwelling of some kind on the spot for as long as records held true. Rebuilt and remade over the centuries, it had seen kingdoms come and kingdoms fall, and yet it had never faltered. It remained. The house, which had always been known simply as Headland House, stood alone, facing the Atlantic Ocean. Alone and isolated. The coastline stretched in each direction, for as far as the eye could see, tall grey cliffs rising out of the water, punctuated by sandy bays and rocky coves. The headland jutted out into the unforgiving sea, like a splinter from the cliffs, and the house, posted atop the most westerly point, like it were trying to escape and dive into depth below. Three paces from its nearest corner, the cliff plunged a hundred feet onto jagged black rocks, carefully sculpted by the oceans over millennia. On a stormy day, the waves could launch themselves violently up into the salty air and boom across the land, the driving and wind whipping the sea spray against a grey stone wall. Along the ice-cold rain, the house took the full force of the elements day in and day out, the water intent on seeping into any weak spot, any crack, any two beams not quite aligned. But this would never happen. It was built by people as tough as the house itself, and they had poured their steel into the structure. It was made of materials from years gone by, stone and clay and slate. The walls were dull grey, worn and weathered, and yet they remained a certain regal magnitude. They stretched skywards towards a slate roof, which slanted backwards and joined the two apexes. These materials, these walls, formed a basic rectangular facade, comprising two stories, making the house nothing architecturally special. And that was what made it so. Something this ordinary had survived for longer than anyone dared imagine. And that in turn made it a place to be wary of. Like a man who survives too many wars, there was something about the house no one could put their finger on. Nor did they want to. For here, the house still was. Hardy, unrelenting, unyielding. It would take more than a thousand years of English weather to make this brute flinch. For it was a brute. It had to be. It had been made that way. It was not built out of love. It was built and rebuilt out of begrudging necessity. The purpose may have changed over the centuries, whether a fisherman needed a salt house, a religious preacher needed an outpost, or a queen needed a lookout. No one chose to live in Headland House. They just ended up there. Even with the unblemished coastline, one of Mother Nature's great designs, laid out before it, still the house remained unloved. Unloved it was, except by one. All of the souls who had roamed inside and called the house home, there was one who said she loved it. Her name was Monita. She was born in the house and she would die in the house. Chapter 2 Three gunshots boomed out of Headland House, blasting through the silence until they were swallowed by the waves and lost to the deep. Over the years, they have been melted and melded and rewritten into just one gunshot echoing through time, like a scar down the face of a memory. But there has always been three. Three very separate, very distinct gunshots. And Monita heard each of them. Bang! Um, so let's just have a look at our genius room and see what the what the the mood is there. Um, pretty much united, actually, which is always always interesting. Um, 
Uh, but too much architecture, says E.G. Logan. And I agree with that. That was my first reaction, actually. Um, it's probably very interesting for an architect, but I don't know. Uh, we got quite a long comment or two, actually, from Barbara, um, who is our narrator. It's tiny to read there, actually, so I'm just going to look over here, actually, because getting a perspective from our narrator is terribly, terribly useful. They get inside the manuscripts and see it from a different point of view. And um, it's, can I just say, if you're going to uh, type anything more than a sentence or two, please just uh, divide it into two comments, because as you can see, the type just goes so small, it's almost illegible. Um, Barbara likes the premise, writing's confident, wasn't hooked until the gunshots in chapter two. It doesn't read thriller until then. No protagonist until, until then. Only the house. Um, people are, are what makes it. There's way too much background the house all we need is a tease of why it's special uh, i really struggle reading it she says if i'll come with some short sentences are very powerful and fab but the long ones lost energy and relevance the longer they went on the piece felt like it was written for the writing um i suggest give us one paragraph max about the house with the golden nugget that hooks us then go straight straight to chapter two what did you think ros blurb was good but i i thought just from the blurb it's not really a thriller it seems more like suspense from the blurb yeah. because yeah. it's talking about things coming out by people doing some research that's not a thriller at all yeah um and then we hit the um the prologue and i was thinking well who's this um then i thought well maybe it's the mother with dementia but are we ever going to hear from her again um and does this even matter although it was a nice little images and it was some nice words i don't know that it really starts us off in the right way yeah. and then we had chapter one and everyone was saying what i thought which which was that although it's is vivid um and it sort of it gives us a, a sense of this place it goes on far too long and yeah. uh, really i think it needs to start with the character and um it should start i feel with the character who is coming back to the place and who is going to find things out and because we need to establish really who we are going to be following the book with mm. at the moment we have no real point of view to plug into and say okay this is my person this is my guide no. here and we've, then we've we got reach some chapter architecture two. go on sorry, yes, sorry and, and on. very atmospheric and this place has obviously been de imagined in detail and there's a real feeling of it and that's good this is all worth keeping in some way but it yeah. might only be worth keeping in the writer's soul rather than on the page yeah but then used to create the sense of atmosphere that the people who are involved in the right. story feel yeah. about it. Absolutely. I just want to ask you something, actually, Roz, because you, you can't... I mean, I laughingly refer to you as a writer's muse, but um, mm. and that, that, that actually covers a multitude of sins, and you, you do coach people, and I know you do advanced writing courses as well. So let me just ask you in general, do you see manuscripts that start like this quite often? I see manuscripts that start with something the writer thought was the place to start, but it's actually not the right place to start. They often start with something that is deeply pivotal for them, but yeah. when it comes to introducing it to the reader, you need yeah. to rethink it completely. Yeah, I, I did right. a similar thing with, with a novel of mine. I started with a piece of setting that just spoke to me. It, it, it sang at me. And then I realized yeah. that's not going to do it for the reader. It's working it's for the, you. It's working for you, and you're writing yourself into it, so it's a valid function, but then you've got to mm. do a 180, haven't you, and see it from the, the uh, new reader's virgin eyes. Uh, Roz, uh, push your button. Um, press your, your vote right. button, and uh, we'll see what your, 
what your numbers are looking like. Uh, 42 so far, with um, some more numbers to come in. Wow, Kaylee has given 100 for the title. Would that be anything to do with the fact that this is uh, a Cornish novel, <laughs> Kaylee? Are you sort of voting yes. local here? It's- it is. It's my Cornish yeah, bias. Um, I see. Okay. I actually, um, I'm a bit of a sucker for a thriller. I love to read a thriller. I love to watch a thriller. So I am your target audience. Fantastic. Um, and actually, even before we started the show and I could see it scrolling across the screen, yeah. that got me. I was immediately interested. So, I mean, that's one hurdle that, you know, you, you if I were in a bookshop and I can only come at this from a reader perspective, I would have pulled you off the shelf. Um, I think I would just echo the comments that other people have made. I think this is probably a bit of a consensus. Cut the prologue. That didn't really, I didn't really draw anything from that as a reader. Um, In terms of all of the description around the setting, I don't know whether it's, as Ross was saying there, it's more the soul and the feel or the atmosphere, or or it's about breaking it up and peppering it in different places throughout the wider manuscript. There were some lovely things there, and I wrote down the line, it was built out of love. I really liked that section as it starts flow into chapter two i thought that was where we started to get more from it um i think there is an interesting aspect here in the house almost being a main character of itself Mm. and that's almost a bit of kind of i don't know what you would call it an omniscient knowing force that Mm. observes everything i think that's interesting but that didn't come through we were almost one step removed from that so it's character being more present and seeing it through their eyes and then I don't know where it's going. I actually got a vibe, and I don't know if I'm way off here, of more like the woman in black. That was what I was getting more of, this kind of wild setting and this I was getting a Du Maurier uh, vibe off it, yeah. personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's nice things there. The premise is there. I think it just needs a work back through and, and pull the character into yeah. it. Fantastic. I mean, this is this is why we get we get emails from um, viewers saying it's a con. You you don't you must show these manuscripts to your guests before you go on air because they they couldn't possibly give you such amazing comments off the top of their head. Actually, whoever who sent that a few weeks ago, you're wrong. They do. This is abs. Um, guys, you haven't seen this before, have you? A quality no. quality of your no. reaction. <laughs> Stunningly good. It's going to be a brilliant show. Let's just have a look at the um, the overall numbers you're getting here. Tom, you're getting a 54. It's nothing to slink home about with your tail between your legs. I think you're doing quite well. Um, Kate says, who's going to root for Scunthorpe? They're talking about different things, different things in the, in the genius room. Let's bring them back on track again with our second submission. With over 100 worldwide number one bestsellers, Head of Zeus is a formidable British-based publishing powerhouse. Independent Publisher of the Year, Digital Business of the Year. The awards and tributes keep rolling in. Now, Pop-Up Submissions has partnered with Head of Zeus to find tomorrow's best-selling authors. Each month's pop-up winner will be fast-tracked straight to them for their expert consideration. We know writing is never easy, but now Pop-Up Submissions makes it easier for you and your work to find a great publishing home. And that's the idea, guys. Here we are, uh, number two. This is from Dale. Dale Lee Sumner. And it's historical fiction. There's a QR code there too, which is great. We love it when you send us a link because we can promote you. Um, and this is called The for- for- Forgotten Marines, Prelude 
to Civil War. And this is Dial's blurb. Why were the Marines sent to Harpers Ferry? Who were they? How were they organised? How did they prepare for the journey? What credibly took place after the Marines arrived? What kind of a wooden ladder could do what three heavy sledgehammers could not? How and why did the sword used to strike down John Brown bend? As one studies the Marines' involvement in this bygone confrontation, more and more questions present themselves and demand explanation. The answers are here. Are they? Okay. Um, answers in, in, in fiction, are they? All right, let's see. Let me tell you about uh, Dale. Uh, Dale was born and reared in a very Navy family. His father retired from the Navy. His mother served during World War II. His brother was a Navy SEAL. Dale retired as a commander from the Navy Supply Corps. As a Navy enlisted man, while stationed in the Marine Corps Air Station at Yuma, Arizona, he experienced the unusual privilege of being awarded the station's highest honour of Marine of the Month. A close association with the Marines continued throughout the rest of his naval career. In 96, Dale and Robert O. Wagner co-founded the first Civil War Federal Marine Reenacting Unit. U.S. Marine Detachment, Washington Navy Yard, 1859 to 1865. He and his bride of 22 years currently reside in Middle Georgia. Well, that's a very exhaustive biography. Thank you very much, Dale. Let's give you an inspiring reading, shall we? From Kay. The Forgotten Marines, Prelude to Civil War, Harper's Ferry, October 1859, by Dale Lee Sumner. Read by Kay. Bang! Bang! The door glass rattled violently, and a usually timid but now very intent clerk named Johnson tramped right up to the front of the large oak desk. Mr. Secretary, an urgent message from Mr. John Garrett, President of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. His arm extended straight out, his hand firmly grasping a telegram. The edge of the paper was mere inches away from Secretary of War Floyd's nose. Johnson's hand was so steady the article did not waver at all. Startled by Johnson's unusually bold demeanour and the suddenness of his entry, Floyd jumped to his feet. His chair fleetly squeaked along the floorboards, tipped and crashed backward. Neither man heard the sound. But what's happening? stumbled Floyd as he reached for the telegram. Insurrection, sir, stated Johnson in a clear and firm voice. Where? Harper's Ferry, Virginia, sir. It's the armory. What? Floyd could not make sense of what he had just heard. He drew the telegram close to his chest and attempted to read aloud. As he spoke, some of the words were barely formed on his lips, while others were vaguely audible. A formidable Negro insurrection at Harper's Ferry, United States Armory and Bridges are in full possession of large bands of armed men said to be abolitionists. 250 whites and a gang of Negroes, guns planted on the railroad bridge, telegraph wires cut, militia men assembling. He read ahead silently for a few moments, then suddenly pointed his index finger upward and exclaimed, Aha! tracing the words on the telegram with his finger as he read aloud with clarity. The presence of United States troops is indispensable. Can you authorise the government officers and military from Washington to go to our train at 3.20 this afternoon to the scene? As Floyd was reading, Johnson had circled behind the desk, uprighted the oversized padded leather chair 
and positioned it behind the Secretary of War. Dumbfounded, Floyd plopped into his chair and jabbered, Negro insurrection, abolitionists. As a native-born Virginian, his mind was swimming with the multiplicity of dreadful memories. Johnson, he said, a fretful look on his face, do you remember Nat Turner's rebellion back in 31? Honestly, no, sir. I was just a young lad back then. Oh, well, it was a horrific slave uprising that happened in Virginia's Tidewater region during my father's term as governor. A slave named Nat Turner and 70 or so of his followers had stabbed, shot or clubbed 50 or more white folk to death in a single night, regardless of their age. He continued shakily, men, women and children were killed as they slept. He repeated, as they slept, mind you. His head moved slowly from side to side. It was terrible, truly terrible. Jumping up to his feet, he continued, Another slave uprising, on this large of a scale, must not happen. Repeatedly pounding his fist on the desk for emphasis, he clamoured, It cannot happen. Whoever is responsible for this outbreak will be put down, and put down quickly. Turning to his right, he stepped toward a large map in his office's side wall. Johnston, who and where are the closest regulars we can send to Harper's Ferry? Ah, uh, Johnson's thoughts flashed through his memory and seized upon the necessary information. That would be the 3rd Artillery Regiment commanded by Colonel Gates at Fort Monroe in Virginia, sir. Floyd placed his finger on the Virginia Peninsula's southern tip, located between the James and York rivers. Then, after scrutinising the relative distance to Washington City, he asked over his shoulder, Don't we have a substantial troop of soldiers anywhere closer? Not US Army regulars, sir. Johnson was fully aware of the Army's strength constraints. With a total force of only 16,000 troops, most were scattered along the Pacific coast, Utah and the Southwest. This dispersion was necessary to guard the United States' newest, most distant borders and fight its Indian wars. Only a thousand troops were posted east of the Mississippi River. Generally, those assignments were scattered along the southern Atlantic and Gulf coasts. Concurrently, only a token number of troops were stationed along the northern border. All right then, Floyd spun around. Take down a telegram. And a quick um, nod to the genius room. Um, yeah, you've got lots and lots of good comments there, Diane. So if you're not watching us live at the moment, I suggest you just um, uh, freeze it right now and just read through everything that, uh, that's being said. Um, sounds like a reconstruction documentary in book form, says Johnny. Pretty much sums up my feeling too. Um, I think that this is a difficult thing to write, to be honest. Um, I think if you've got anything new to say in the, in, in the subject... Then you should do you should do a non-fiction book. There's been a huge amount written about this this whole topic because it's an incredibly important, not to say emotional subject, um, both in the the development of the Civil War and of course, I mean, you know, what it's all about really is the abolition of slavery. So I have to say I'm just giving my reaction straight off before anybody else does, and that is to say I don't think this is really an appropriate treatment. I think that what you're doing is looking at the the minutiae of an of one of the most iconic events in, in American history, actually, from from a narrow perspective, the Marines' point of view. But what 
what they were asked to do that day was, I think many people would say, very, very wrong. So, having said that, um, you can probably guess how I'm going to vote. I'm going to ask Kayleigh for her first reactions, please. Yeah, it's... I, I'm struggling to make a bit of a comment on this one because yeah. of the subject matter. It but is difficult. Ter- yeah, but if I take a step back, there's some really nice writing there. I think there was some depth is what I wrote down. There was some layers coming through. I think with these things, there's almost a difference between a theme and knowledge. You know, you come from a marine background, but then when that kind of comes onto page, you're not reading. And I think, I wonder if, I think this is what was coming out of the comment about a documentary on page. It almost becomes yeah. too technical. Yeah. And especially that last paragraph there, it was very technical. There was lots of detail um, and that will kind of, you know, we're in it for story. Mm. Um, so that would be one of my points. Um, in terms of your title as well, I would cut that down. The Forgotten Marines, I think, is more impactful. But yeah, um, those that. are kind yeah. of some, some, some yeah. small points. Um, the blurb, yeah. I didn't really understand. I didn't really know what I was getting overall from, from that. It asked a lot of questions. But I'll leave it there. I think that's probably all I can okay. say. Fair enough, Ros. Anything to add to that? Oh, I, I so agree with so many things here i i felt it wasn't really working as fiction um he's got a huge amount of knowledge and he's desperate to to get it get it to us uh but he's not playing it out like a story he's um trying to he's showing us that characters are agitated about something but there's somehow a lack of reaching out properly to the reader and making Mm. the reader understand why it matters and um i i think fiction isn't his forte but there's a there's a lot of knowledge here that he feels is really important to share um, mm. and a tiny point about the blurb um yes there was so much crammed into it and somehow it's also managed to sound a bit cozy but this is not cozy no it's not cozy <laughs> it's not cozy at all that's a very good point thanks Roz. push your push your vote button uh let's have a look at the how the numbers are looking so far um, generous numbers, uh, 45 the bang. I've gone very low on that because I can only see this going really to very small military press, if that actually. So I can't see the commercial potential. Uh, you've gone up to 37. No doubt that's going to continue rising in the next few seconds as we move on to our next submission of the day. With over 100 Oops. worldwide number one best. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. We're not going to do that again. <laughs> Sorry about that. Keeps on repeating. I don't know why. We're very keen on head of Zeus here, obviously, but maybe not quite that keen. Uh, let's uh, let's yeah, let's talk about the seminar that's coming up this Saturday, shall we? With over one hundred worldwide number one bestsellers, someone's got to say it. A lot of writing courses and seminars out there are horrifically overpriced. Litopia's writing seminars deliver practical knowledge you can use at an unbeatable price. Learning the tricks of the trade shouldn't cost a fortune. Litopia's writing seminars give you what you need to know without fleecing you. I'm very much looking forward to that. The art of the blurb, new art of the blurb, how about that? Oh yes, lots to say about that. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you, Michelle. Isn't that great? And what a, what a great... It's a live announcement all the way from YouTube. I uh, got a request for the full manuscript for Hurt Town by a very reputable press. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. Well done. <laughs> fantastic news, Michelle. Thanks for sharing with us. That's very good. Hope the same happens to Rick, whose submission we're looking at right now. 
QR code as well. It's science fiction. How does he use a very hot on science fiction, I hear? It's called Birth of Jai. The year is 2070 and the world is on the brink of a revolution. Vicent is a nation ruled by the key Zaran, priests who lord over the professional and working classes from their perch atop a stratified social system. Embedded ships, each connected to Vicent's vast network, present every citizen with a polished version of reality, obscuring the darker truths of the inequitable country they call home. An AI named Jai being emerging Jai being emerges oh that's a funny name is it Jai or Jai being emerges from the shadows to facilitate a rebellion well who'd have thought it I thought um, I thought AI was on the uh, the other side but clearly not interesting let me tell you about uh, Rick software engineer who teaches computer science at University of Central Florida his understanding of software and artificial intelligence ah, I see this is where we're going underpins the realism of birth of Jai although he enjoys writing video games and has written many he never plays them very cryptic go figure says Rick go figure okay I'm thinking about that um, after getting birth of Jai uh, polished and published due in no small part to Latopia pop-up submissions. The praise keeps on coming in. Isn't that fantastic? Um, he will write the other two novels in the trilogy. Then, maybe, he can take the summer off or go on a sabbatical. Well, we, uh, we want to facilitate that, Rick. And um, we're facilitating you like mad today because we've got a great reading here from Bev. Birth of Jai by Rick Leineker, read by Bev. Chapter 1. Change hurtled towards Elise like a meteor from a far galaxy, and it would start later today. She left the toy store empty-handed. Staring down at the list, she rolled her eyes and said, These small stores don't have anything worth doodle. I should have ordered online like everyone else. The Ministry of Planning promoted retail stores carrying a limited inventory for people who still like to touch and feel products. The experience masked the almost completely virtual life that residents of Sintelicity lived. Elise had thought buying a gift in person would feel more meaningful, but she'd failed to find anything. With a resolute step, the walk home began. In her diary this morning, she had described a desire to find the perfect gift for Palu, for whom she was au pair. Palu's parents, Noga and Kiona, lavished praise and affection on Elise. But she wasn't taking any chances, because if her shine faded, she would be back in the orphanage where she'd come from. The thought sent a shudder down her spine. The family had left that morning to visit Palu's grandmother, leaving Elise with a rare bit of free time. Once back home, after making an online selection for Palu's gift, she would have a chance to take a nap and make up some of the sleep she'd lost last night before they returned. Her dreams had kept her up. The problem was she was empathic, almost psychic, and sometimes images came to her unexpectedly. Last night's sleep brought a vision of a stadium with dark clouds and lightning that jolted her awake. After that shock, sleep had eluded her. She was still feeling the effects of her interrupted night, her morning fatigue had now slid into the afternoon doldrums. Hey you, stop, a loud voice commanded. Her face froze, shoulders tensed, 
and she turned tentatively towards the voice. A tall, brawny man loomed menacingly. His short, cropped hair, straight-legged jeans and rolled-up, long-sleeved shirt showed him to be a mog, the lowest caste of people in Sintelicity. Now that she saw who was speaking to her, her stomach turned sour even though she hadn't eaten today. She had no problem with mogs, but this guy seemed like he was looking for trouble. Her legs began to shake. The mog stalked slowly in her direction. She instinctively backed up, but a building stopped her from further retreat. You stints think you own the world. I see you're alone with nobody to protect you, he leered. I'm going to teach you a lesson, sint. You'll be sorry you got out of bed today. Hell, you'll be sorry you were born. A voice suddenly spoke in Elise's ear. Don't move, citizen. Stay as still as you can. The voice surprised her almost as much as the appearance of the mog, but she quickly realised it was coming from the chip embedded behind her left ear. Everyone in Vessint province had a chip like this, an all-purpose helper, network interface, and of course tracking device, so the government knew your every move. One of the ministry's monitor agents must have noticed the dangerous situation, and Elise hoped they had sent help. She obediently froze while the mog continued towards her, silently praying that the long arm of the ministry would reach her soon. The mog's face scrunched up, perplexed, then leaned in, only inches from her face, and he shouted, Why aren't you running away? That's half the fun for me. Ha! He was breathing heavily and sweating. His breath smelled foul. His eyes had a far away, somewhat deranged look. She wondered if something was wrong with him. Elise cringed and the mog uttered a low growl like a caged dog. The standoff continued for an eternity in Elise's mind, but on the clock it was only about 30 seconds. At that moment, like the cavalry coming over the mountain, she was enormously relieved to see two enforcers rounding the corner with tasers drawn. They had been dispatched from the alert the chip had broadcast and turned the tables on the mog, approaching him as a skilled combat team. The mog backed three giant steps from Elise. Okay, so come on, fess up, uh, panel. Which one of you is a sci-fi freak? Because you're going to go first. Nine of them. I'll go first. <laughs> All I'll right, go, go first. first. Yeah, Thank you for I, I, do, I do like some sci-fi and uh, and I've edited quite a bit as well. Um, this, I, I thought it was a good blurb, but we needed some sense of who we were going to be following through the story. And several people said, "Let's have a, a character in there somewhere." Um, it looks it looks like the the world is um, quite thoroughly realised. So he's got a system there and that lets people know we're going to be reading about this kind of problem which is important with sci-fi because we need to know wh which kind of uh, what's been changed about the world and and what kind of problems we're going to to be um exploring that's that's quite important yeah. and and then his opening scene um deals with it, it finds a way of explaining how it works there's a chip and it follows you around and sometimes it rescues you and so on but here i was thinking although that is a um a a clever way to um establish how the world works is it the most interesting way to draw us into the story yeah yeah 
because yeah. it doesn't really it, it's quite run of the mill so I think he needs to have another go at finding some way of making us intrigued by the character. I mean, if you think of 1984, Winston Smith sits down and writes a diary, and you've got this sense of desperation, mm. and he mm. hides from something. Yeah. And this is too routine, I feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not getting the emotion I need, actually. I mean, sometimes you can... Definitely. You know, you do come across authors who just believe in their world so much and have so much energy. They just say, "F it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this the way I want," and the whole energy just just moves it through. Not always an easy route to publication. I'm thinking about, oh, I don't know, I suppose Fifty Shades of Grey stuff like that. That you know, just uh, you can you can feel the passion. Uh, well, the author, real passion at least, moving the manuscript, and the, the same thing goes to the readers. Doesn't always get through to the publishing industry until, of course, you sell fifty million copies. What did you think then, Kaylee? I would echo that. I think there was some good signalling, but when we were going through the blurb, it all felt like very familiar territory. So you know, this kind of ministry or this you know, mm. panel that presides over people, the oppressed, the revolution, the microchips, the robots, the artificial intelligence. So that's really familiar territory to us as readers. Yeah. So you always have a bit of a job to do to find the real unique selling point or what makes this distinctive to anything else that we've seen, read or watched before. And there's quite a lot out there. Yeah. Um, so I think that for me was lacking in this opening. I was struggling to find what, what makes this different from anything I've read before. Yeah. Um, somebody made a comment, I think, in the chat as well about Jai. Have I pronounced that correctly? Yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I think, yeah, I've gone for it. I've gone for it. Um, we don't see that that robot anywhere. And it's not to say you have to jump straight to that character, but we were almost kind of, who are, who are these other people? Yeah. What is their connection to the broader story? It felt like it was an incident that could happen further along in the story. Yeah. Um, it, it feels the chronology is not quite there. It's not the right place to open. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I I just wanted. I, 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 look, I'm going to say something really stupid. I just couldn't get over the fact that the uh, bad guys were called Mogs. Because uh, you may not know this, Rick, but that is is it's sort of British. I think definitely English, maybe British slang for a cat, uh, Mog or Moggy. And I, I just I'm just seeing these big sort of you know. Um, Actors in cat suits, but that's maybe not a great comparison. Let's see what uh, the junior stream is saying. Annie's, Annie's saying the summer necessary exposition, it would be much stronger without it. Trust your reader. What a great line that is, Annie. Absolutely. Nice writing, says Ancora. I'd cut a lot of the exposition. Johnny says, I think ministry is too many echoes of another world. Yes. And actually, this we've had this before, haven't we? So one or two people are saying, why don't you just join Latopia and it's, it'll be a lot faster rather than waiting for months and months and months to have a few minutes of feedback like that. And you could easily do that. Um, okay, no, okay, well, they're all talking about cats, and I shouldn't have said that. I really shouldn't have said that. Let's have a look at the numbers. Oh, surely it's more than that. Surely, Kayla, you haven't pressed your button. And neither Sorry. have I, actually. <laughs> Doing all this talking, isn't that right? Outrageous. This, this, all this proves is it, just, it's for real, guys. It's for real. So let's see those numbers shoot up. There they go. Yes. And I, you dare say you're going to get a few more points as well, actually, Rick, um, over the next few minutes. But while that, uh, your, your numbers accumulate, 
I think it would be an extremely good idea to see what's going on in Roz's rather interesting world. That's it. Now, Roz has got many, she's a, a multifaceted person, got lots and lots of presents on the website, on the internet, that's one. This is another one. Um, well, it's part of the same website, actually. I mean, we're going to talk about everything you do. Well, we're not, because we don't have that time. This is your most recent book, Everest. Uh, I'm just looking at some of these amazing reviews here, actually. Uh, memorable, sad, joyful, so real and heart, heart-wrenching, I expected to see stories on news about the, about the characters. What, what's it all about, Roz? The most difficult question you can ask, of course, an author, but tell us, what's it about? Well, in 1994, a man falls off a mountain into a glacier. He was climbing Mount Everest and his body can't be retrieved. Hmm. And he's still there in a glacier about 20 years later. And the people who are close to him can't move on. And he was a rock star. And the recordings of his music and videos of him. So his music keeps him alive. His fans keep him alive. Um, Everywhere, if you want, you can watch a video of him, young and beautiful, and singing in a beautiful voice. And people say, that's probably like his right now. He's still preserved as beautiful as the day he went in. And (laughs) that makes it even harder for the people who really knew him and were connected to him. And it's about lost loves, friendships, youth, the music that made us when we were teenagers, and it still does in some ways. It still comes with us. You've obviously seen my Spotify playlist, haven't you? Yeah, Yeah, haven't moved on. And Uh, it's about how you do move on, but you can't. And and you just have to find a way to live with it all. Fantastic. Sounds brilliant. Uh, World-class, stellar reviews. Uh, uh, You've done all sorts of things. You've been been a ghostwriter. You you do these these courses of Guardian Advanced Writing. Uh, Latest stuff I've just seen on your your website, which I think is a really interesting idea, actually. I just want to ask you about this. Um, You've produced a free book club guide to your your last novel Everest now that sounds like something that writers could profitably do um, how do you do it what what goes into it and who reads it well I hope it will be read by people who are who have read the book and are wondering whether they should introduce it to their book club they could then give this uh, either give this free book to oh, right. uh, to their book club and say yeah. this is the kind of thing you could talk about or they could just yeah. read it and, and you know it, it would be like the book has a conversation with them and says well these are some themes you could discuss um, yeah. it contains an interview there's a, um, a really lovely writing creative writing professor who, who did an interview with me and asked me really about all my mm. intentions and then discuss his his view of the book with it so that's like a mini book club discussion as well that's fantastic yeah. um, and they talked about a few inspirations yeah just so tell you, us about book clubs and, and why they're important i mean they used to be physical things they i guess lockdown has put an end to that they might come back actually but why are they important to writers well they're um they're ways that people can really connect over what mattered to them in a book and what, what spoke to them in a book and mm. i think there's a particular kind of book there's a book club book and i think it doesn't tend to be genre so much because although you might love who done it you might read a who done it and your friends if they don't like who done it won't have nearly as good a time as you did yeah. but if you find a book that you can all find a bit in that that seems to cross 
boundaries in some oh, way. God, yeah. It can, yeah. Then you can all talk about the various levels that matter to you and spoke yeah. to you, and you get a much richer experience because everyone is saying, "But I thought this," and that someone else will say, "I didn't think of that." It's very clever. So That's there's a lot clever. you can find. That's just answered Kate's question about what is a book club book. Mm. It's it's got these multi lives. It's got it's got something for everyone really. It's that that, that mm. sort of uh, notional thing that the uh, publishing industry loves enormously, but I'm not sure actually exists. It's the general reader. Oh yes, we like that. Mm. Something for everybody. That's that's fantastic. Um, how, how do you feel the publishing business is, is moving? Just the traditional, the legacy, as some people call it. Do you think it's it's moving in the right direction? Do you think it's contracting? Do you think it's doing interesting new things, or it's going to be more or less extinct in the next decade? All, all those opinions are out there at the moment. <laughs> Come on, you can be yes, it's just you, things, me, and a few hard. thousand viewers. It's hard to know, isn't it? Um, at the moment, I think that it's very much that they're trying to see what they can bring to a market with a strong chance of selling lots of copies. And yeah. they are a business, and yeah, this is not so. really surprising. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. what I see with the publishing industry at the moment. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Very non-committal, but entirely the right thing to say. Um, I think um, what we need to do now is, because we've only got two more, um, two more submissions... Let's have a look and see how the numbers look. All right. So you, Tom, are currently the the show winner. We have two more to go, I have to say. And uh, you, Rick, have got the biggest bang. What's that, you ask? It's the commercial appeal. There's the four uh, criteria, four categories that... Oh, Genius Room and our guests and me evaluate each submission on the title, the blurb, the writing craft itself, and then the commercial appeal. And of course, the writing craft and the commercial appeal are not necessarily the same. Let's have a look at submission number four. Here we go. Saint Plague. Saint Plague. Interesting title. Science fantasy. Note the difference? Not science fiction, science fantasy. There's from Daniel, QR code there as well. It's a bumper day for QR codes. And this is Daniel's blurb. Callus's sisters dying from a devastating plague. One of the many calamities left in the wake of the Saint Bound's continued dissensions to sainthood and the heavens. That's quite a sentence. I'm still thinking about that. That's absorbing slowly. <laughs> yes, yeah, slowly being broken down and absorbed. The Prince of Wretched Blood is close to a cure. With plans to auction it in ten days before he ascends. But even the starting price is a damned ridiculous price Callus can't afford in his meagre detective salary. Wow. <laughs> a criminal organisation will pay. He just has to kill the prince before the cure is finalised. Now, does that interest you? Yeah. Do you understand it? No. <laughs> At least I don't. Maybe you do. Uh, let me tell you about Daniel. Um, I've been an avid writer my entire life, crafting short stories as a child and a teenager, through into adulthood with some hope of improvement through the years. <laughs> You're an optimist. Uh, my writing became more serious in a creative writing class at college where a tutor encouraged me to continue. And I've been writing novels and seeking agent representation for five years. It's not terribly long, actually. Remember our, our, our last guest last show? 20 years. Sorry about that. 20 years, yeah. Uh, through three novels. Since college, I've become an English linguistics and language graduate, working in conveyancing and freelance editing. Hmm. 
and this would be my debut novel. I also review SSF uh, novels, uh, Fanfi Addict, and my short fiction has appeared in Pride, The Worst Sin of All, Black Hair Press 2020. Wow. Well, we want, I guess, an intense, enthusiastic reading, don't we? So we asked John. Saint Plague, The Devious Ascensions, Book One, by D.A. Smith. Read by John. Chapter One, Salix Day Morning. Angie coughs and splatters. A sandwich does worse for my heart than the shakes ever I have. Been fighting my whole life, but all I can do is watch now. Eight years of not living or dying. It's a wonder you don't give up, sis. Ma and Pa did. And all this on account of watching that prick ascend. Damn the saint band. They climb the steps to the heavens with one good deed and leave a citadel of bad ones when they're awake. Always a celebration when they do, but I don't get why. They abandon us for a place they say us humans won't never get to. Always us down here, what gets it in the neck. Here I go again. Reputations the curse of my age has hit me with. And now I'm late for work. Gotta hurry this up. But don't like it one bit. But I wring the cloth out with holy water. What it says on the jar. Though I can't be too damn sure these days. Vendors and crooks are too alike. And dab her forehead. As I pull it away again, her skin peels with it. Scarred, shiny and red underneath. A fire blazing. Don't even have the strength to heal herself now. The water's effects are losing the fight. She's pallid. Missing the chestnut glow you should. Ma and Pa would beat me for this. I've let everyone down. Drunk while ascension ruined my life. My family. Flecks of blood and dead skin mixed with the water on the next ring. Angie splutter rapid fire, so hoarse I'm reminded of war. See the eyes of the dead again behind my own and blink them away. Here's a milk. I don't recognise. Not the gold Ma gave us. Pa's button nose we share and the cracks in her skin make her look like me and my cut up mess. Shh, now, I say. Save it, brat. Still she croaks. A brat is right. Offer her some water, but fumble it and like a moron it spills on her sheets. The shakes strike again. Ah, oh, damned it. The only water's what's spilled and I don't only get paid for another half cycle. Talak. She tries. Shut now. Mrs. Tenement will be along soonish. If she ain't worked out, I ain't paid her yet. And don't give me none of that elder's busy. She won't be staying here a while. That's all I'll say on the matter. Filcher. This again. Filcher won't come no more, I've told you. Too old and his part chair is not built for down here. I'll tell him you say hi. Then she's silent. Ain't sure whether she's even lucid. Just names. Always the same. Get the right flask this time. The tiny filtration system whirs as I put my hand behind her head, gentle-like, and pour the water into her mouth. She hacks once more, winces. Even water this soft's enough to sand down her paper-thin, infected skin. That's what's called paper cuts, a nasty incurable virus or plague, if you're the religious type. What makes this like drinking razors, the priest doctor said. What makes her whole body weak as if it were paper. Bite in my lip, I choke on a sob. Die like me, and she's out with something I can't bring to justice. Grab my ID, my wallet, then my mini coat and knife and pea cap. Back in a bit, hold it down here, sis. Back for lunch. You ain't got no choice anyway. 
Swinging open the door, I pull it closed slowly until I hear the soft click. Pull the card away from the door. In its absence, the free security bolts. Plunk, plunk, plunk. I wait, pressing my ear to it. Cap, Callus. She tries my name again, and I squeeze my eyes closed. Forehead cold against the metal of the door. Tears hot lines down my face. Well now, well now, Daniel, you've got you've got the genius room buzzing there. Wow. A move over Vinnie Jones, says Martin, who's also one of our great narrators, actually. And uh, yeah, Johnny was actually saying some some very interesting stuff to her about uh, how he approached that. Um, he says, I'll just read it from over here because I can see it easily. Um, he said, I was a little lost to begin on first reading, says Johnny, our narrator. Um, and I had to read several times to get centred with the sense of place. I think you've really done it. Um, and he says, love the voice in this, makes up for that confusing blurb. And I, I know what she's talking about. She's talking about the authorial voice, but I like Johnny's voice as well, actually. Uh, voice is great, says Kate, in both senses of the, the word, I think. Um, and Cora says, definitely draw me in. Of course, Johnny's great reading is helping out too. Absolutely, it is. Uh, very intense, dark and intimate. Kate says, I'm pulled in by the voice. Again, we were talking about the authorial voice here, which I think uh, Johnny is sort of channeling, actually. Um, sentence is a little busy, says Johnny, and tripped me up from time to time. And again, Martin, I think, is on the money. He says, feels like a Dickens baddie speaking. Does. And then Eva says, I think something a lot of people identify with, I don't know what to make of this don't know what to make of this so if we don't know what to make of something then we should speak to Kaylee right I so I think this is a really interesting example of where there's craft and then the commercial aspect because um sorry I realize I'm out of the other way that's right no, I don't know which, <laughs> don't know which way to go <laughs> your left, left as your right and your right as your um, left <laughs> that's how I drive um <laughs> right I so I think this is there's some really beautiful writing in this i think there's some real creativity and really interesting dialogue and voice so the craft side of it i absolutely see balancing that off if i were reading this without the benefit of the voiceover i yeah. could see that i might stumble and have to slightly Good unpick point. it to really Good understand point. what's going on yeah. and that's a bit of a problem isn't it because you don't want yeah. the reader to have to struggle with your writing but i really enjoyed it and i can tell this is the one of them that i will continue to think about Mm. after this so you know that's that's a great thing that's so interesting you said that i just i was thinking that too and i was thinking that partly there's a title it's the title you're going what's that what's that i mean it will stick in my mind yeah, and I, th I think the premise is really interesting. So there are these, you know, they're going off to the heavens, but they're leaving all of this turmoil. And you've started with the action. I actually really like that. There is mm. somebody who is suffering. It's very vivid. Um, it's dark. It is, it, it is intimate. But I quite like that because I think you're mm. very drawn into the story. Mm. I think, and I'm not really sure what my advice is because... I really enjoyed it, but I can also imagine if I was trying to read it, yeah. I'm not sure how you would kind of get round this and simplify without losing. How long would you carry on reading before you know you thought you thought I don't know it's not for me? It really depends. If the story is there and the story is really strong, the action, the character is really strong, and there is always something really interesting happening, I would definitely carry on with it. Yeah. But that's quite a big demand, isn't it? Because you have to then dial up that yeah. to the max to then, um, you is. know. Yeah. But so I'm not 
not quite sure but all i can tell you is i really enjoyed it so good excellent right that's that's very good push push your buttons like mad um of course it was it was a very original rating from johnny and as Kylie says, we have to kind of subtract that sometimes. Sometimes we, we respond to the reading, not necessarily the words. But that's why we've got you, Roz, of course. You focus on the words. You're, you're the pro. What did you think? Oh, thank you. Um, yes, I, well, I, I was very confused by the blurb. Um, I, I felt it was trying to stuff too much, much in. Also, it seemed to change tone at the end. The blurb yeah, it it sounded suddenly as if it had become comic and so i thought what is it which is it and i would have yeah. liked the blurb to explain that startling title what a brilliant title Isn't i would it? like yeah. to know something yeah. it, the blurb should tell me why it's called that in some way to make because the title drew me in and i want the, I want the blurb to sort of embroider mm. that more um, but you also need the character who's right to do that um i think with the the actual um excerpt it's full of emotion which which is great you're with some somebody yeah. who has got a problem they're desperate they're blaming themselves it's complex emotion that's all really good the description is effective because it serves an emotional purpose so we we have what things look like but we also have someone noting them and they hurt him when whenever he notices them and that's yeah. really good yeah. what i would would have liked was um a bit of explanation actually about why this why his sister wasn't just about to die because presumably she wasn't um and, and why it's she's going to stay alive long enough for him to do something about this so we need a little bit more information in this we've got emotion mm. and now we need a bit of information too you, you do need a balance absolutely brilliant 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 i hope, hope you're listening daniel i hope you're appreciating the amazing words of wisdom from Roz, um, let's just. I think that um, I think you're probably winning right now. Let's have a look at the. Let's just look at the scorecard before our very last submission of the day, shall we? I remember the the numbers can change. They can change. You've got sixty one at the moment. That can go up. It can go down as well. Actually, it does go down if more people in the genius room vote a little bit low. Then you know the numbers will drop. And it always seems a bit strange to see those numbers go down, but it can happen. Um, so yeah, you're in the lead right now. You're in the lead, actually, Daniel. But who knows for how long? Because we've got one more submission. And this is it. It's from Rebecca. Satirical comedy. Absurdist fantasy. All right. Take your pick of a genre, there. And I'm, I'm going to murder this, actually. I don't have a pronunciation guide. Um, it's uh, Black Teen. I'm going to say Black Teen. I'm sure that's wrong. A lot of people laughing at me right now. So what's new? Um, Black Teen Castle. This is the blurb from Rebecca. Werewolves, Kelpies, cults, <laughs> and unicorns. Something for everyone. If you've an invite, then Black Teen Castle welcomes you with many cold, cursed, and only half-dead arms. For there's always a treasure to be won if you can stomach the hunt and keep your heart beating within your chest. For this year's Winter Kaylee, there will be slaughter on the dance floor. There's murder on the dance floor. So be careful not to slip. Honestly, you could break something. An absurd farce, if you ask me. I shan't be going. That's a quote from Count Tothry. All right, so I've no idea what to expect. No idea what to expect, but I can tell you a bit about uh, Rebecca. I've written two novels, says Rebecca, and a collection of short stories, all self-published, and have a somewhat self-sabotaging, for now, 
passion for writing fiction and poetry. I wonder why that is. Why is that self-sabotaging? Inquiring minds want to know. Um, otherwise, I have a 20-year-old passion for taekwondo. Enjoy rock climbing and green tea, but presumably not all at the same time. Uh, oh, and reading, of course. I love reading. If my bookshelf were to fall over with me under it, I'm 96% sure I would be a goner, but a happy one. Hope this is suitable. Well, I don't know if it's suitable or not. I don't know what the word suitable means, but I do know we've got an amazing reading coming up from Kay. Lachtain Castle by Rebecca Temple, read by Kay. He came to the end of his gallop when the road deserted him in favour of a further inland destination. He had done well in the mainland with all the pitch-painted signposts and the perfect lack of any at all as he travelled from island to island, but where this path was to eventually lead he could not guess. He had followed it out of Ronderus, where he had lodged the past night for seven miles, then taking the abandoned Bunanand ferry, he had hopped over to the larger landmass of Bankala, which is attached to the mainland, much in the shape of a chipped and warped horseshoe. Then he rode another 19 miles to reach the handle of the Fishhook Bay, where at the most easterly point before the bare flick of land that curved out and then in on itself to hitch the stretch of banks belonging to Inskip and Aridway, was the small isolated fishing cottage tucked a little back into the trees quietly watching Loch Mormin. At the unnatural centre of the mirror-glass loch, upon a coal dust build of rocky outcrops, on a visually deceptive flat of overgrown land, stood like an ancient relic having rose from the watery underworld, his dark Delphian destination, bathing silently in the orange cream and bruising purple sunset. Upon making his way down the settled sandbank towards the two boats that waited at the shore, he saw his guide waiting for him, sitting back in a rotten-looking chair, sucking on something sporadically grey and furry, that may or may not have meant to be sporadically grey and furry. He did not dismount when he stopped by the boats. His guide, an aged but still sturdy and well-built man of the potentially ginger profession, took a brief note of him but finished his mystery food before he addressed him. The master's ear for a ferry out to the castle. He asked, sucking something sticky from his first three fingers. I am. Huh. Not often this happens. Not folk coming for this side of the loch, anywho. You're for the solstice, Cayley, are ye? I am. Hmm. Another treasure hunter, are ye? Curious to find out what the laird and his lady have set for their prize this year. I wouldn't bet it been anything worth a trip or for. But perhaps it is. The stranger spoke up, dismounting and stepping up towards the sitting man, reins held firmly in a fine caramel leather glove. The sitting man scrutinised him a little further. The smoky grey cloud over his right eye dulled his perceptiveness, but did nothing to dampen the fire behind his left. Aye, ah, you could be right. I can most just go for all the festivities anywho, but I wouldn't go. No tonight, all nights. And is this the same speech you give to all the travellers who come here for your safe passage? Hmm. It's all accurate enough, just a book. But as I said afore, no many folk make the journey for this side. There's too many curses to have come out of that castle. It's nae good for your health, and you don't look like you're carrying any protection near. 
The stranger looked to the awaiting castle on the loch. The sun was swiftly making its descent to the horizon. He was eager to make his way, but not before he had heard the old man out. And what sort of protection would that be? By the gods, do ye ken nothing? Naped in their right mind would go over there without some kind of talisman or ward. You need sigils. He started by rolling up his crumpled sleeve to reveal an interesting, if a little overly ornate, symbol inked in an imperfectly black shade in the centre of his forearm. A snuff a singed sorrel, hawthorn blessed by a revered mother, a woodpecker's pecker, bottled spew of the Loch Ness monster, a handful of the first tuft of hair for the fringe of a wee baby healing coo, or at least the tip half of an antler of a virgin red stag. You made the last one up. Another, another stonkingly good reading there. Thank you, Kay. Just brilliant, actually. I think Kay was just about the only person who could actually get through those words, but uh, terrific, rousing reading from Kay. And there's, oh, so many comments on the uh, Genius Room. One that caught my eye, and I'm still tittering over it, actually, is Andy D saying, what is the potentially ginger profession? <laughs> now, <laughs> so I'm, think, I'm thinking about the red-headed league. No, probably not. Um, it, actually, what it was, was it's quite interesting because it, it, it doesn't make any sense either way to me, but it's, I think it's potently, um, the manuscript said potently ginger profession. And, and, and Kai read that as being potentially ginger profession. And that's, that's actually what the instru normal instructions we, we give to narrators is just do, do it on take. Just record it. If you stumble over any, any words, leave that in because quite often that's useful for the author concerned because, you know, authors actually don't read their own work out loud. They ought to, but they often don't. So that's the instruction. Um, but I, I have no idea what the potently ginger profession is. <laughs> it's really tickled me. So for a bit of common sense, here's Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Do I count as the ginger profession? No, I think you're part of the red-headed league, actually. <laughs> okay, but fine. But we've sorted that out. Good. Well, I love the blurb. Everyone loved the blurb, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, it's fun. It gives a great flavour. It makes you think, yeah, yeah I'm going to have a, sort of a ball with this. And the actual writing the, um, doesn't have the same tone. It no, seems it to be a different It doesn't. Book. Yeah. And the, the title, too has the, the, a different tone. The title yeah. belongs with the tone of the excerpt, but not with the blurb. So I was left a bit puzzled. Um, and I don't know what she's aiming for, which she's aiming for. Does she want the absurd, the really absurd yeah. kind of, the, the absurdity yeah. turned up a lot, or does she yeah. want something much gentler? Yeah, exactly. So if she's aiming for the for the really absurd, I would start with the guide just coming up to, or the, the protagonist coming up to the guide who is eating something mysterious. And that's good, eating something mysterious. I like that. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's good. That's a nice touch as well. Yeah. yeah, so there are little flashes like that. Um, but I would have started with, with those because that is what you have promised the reader. Yeah. Exactly. But if that's exactly. not what you're going to do, promise the reader something I know. else. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, you know, let's come down to earth a little bit after my hysterics. Um, actually, we have to judge. We have to judge what we see in front of us. That's what we have to do. Um, yeah, so I'm just looking at the numbers coming in. Let's just see before we speak to Kaylee. It's looking at a f solid 46 so far. Um, but Roz hasn't pushed her button. So while yeah, Roz has. does that. Oh, she has. Okay, it'll come in just a second or two. <laughs> Kaylee, what did you think? 
I would agree with was completely. So, I mean, the blurb absolutely had me. And I was like, this is right up my street. I really like a bit of absurdity. I love a bit of comedy. I really don't believe that writing needs to be serious, yeah. you know, at times. Like, go for it. Exactly. And I would agree. When it started, those kind of opening paragraphs, I was a bit disappointed almost. I felt like I was... I think my expectations were already quite high from the blurb and then it felt very different in tone, in place, yeah. in, in many ways, as, as Ros was saying. Um, for me, I think dial up the absurdity, absurdity. I think that's where you will really win in this. So that is where I would focus the attention. Um, yeah. But I actually, I love the dialogue. I thought that was very good. You know, this person can obviously write brilliantly. Um, and this is this sounds quite negative, but it's all quite positive. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh dear, oh, dear. Oh, I'm all over the place today. Oh my God. I did warn you, didn't I? All the buttons have changed. Sorry, Kylie. How, no, how okay. embarrassing. I was life. going to it's end life. on a note of optimism for this person, yeah. just to say I think there's brilliant stuff here, and I think it's maybe mm. just rebalancing the weights a little bit if yeah. you say comedy and that maybe yeah. i'm quite a demanding reader but really oh. inject that and it doesn't have to be you know punchline and jokes it just needs to be tone but it does need to be very present and obvious yeah. in many ways so i think it's just about turning the dials but I, I really enjoyed it good that's great that's good to know uh let's get serious about comedy for a moment um comedy writing really hard to do really hard to pull off you've got so many different audiences out there some of whom may find your work really amusing many of whom won't <clears throat> you've got cultural differences you've got international differences so hard to pull off good comedy writing just wondering straight off the top of your head Roz who's your favourite funny writer oh you've got gosh, one at all? I love Bill Bryson yeah actually wry sense of humour there yeah yeah mm. Um, what about you, Katie? You got you got a favourite? Unpredictable too. Yeah, very much so. You got a favourite uh, funny writer that you just like to read for kind of kicks? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm, I'm going to suggest PG Woodhouse. Have you ever tried PG Woodhouse? Yeah. Oh, you got a, got a treat there in store. There we go. Absolutely. Yes. Hopefully that will I'm be your next uh, favourite writer. And the next time you come back on. Now I am going to press that button again, and we are really now again to see who the overall show winner is actually let's have a look right so it's pretty tight it's pretty tight but actually daniel looks like you've pulled it off although enormous amounts of respects to to you rebecca because uh, everybody loved your blurb i mean that's serious seriously good and in terms of title tom you should be very proud of yourself um but yeah it's uh well let me let me press the right button this time and we'll see who the right winner is well done daniel many congratulations you are the show winner the very last show in a five-week month this august but you know what that means, don't you? It actually means that the uh, the month's winner is last week's winner, and that is... Yeah. Well done, John. Killer title. 
again, people will remember that title, I think, forever. Um, so you you pipped the post there. We had a solid winner going all the way through the month. John comes along, the penultimate show of the month, and he wins. Many, many congratulations. What a great month it's been. Thank you, all writers who've, who've sent your work in. Thank you to our wonderful guests as well, particularly Kaylee and Roz, but everyone else has been a wonderful guest this, this month. Um, thank you, everyone behind the scenes who makes it entirely possible. And I, most of all today, thank you very, very much, Genius Room, for freely giving your time, expertise, advice, and not a little humour. See you next time. Going on. All the way up ah, I'm going all the way up Sky and I got this relief